Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the show, fellow conspiracy realists. We are returning to you with a very strange classic all the way from 2018, The Story of GhostNet. Yes. Uh, this is one of those long investigations that turned up with a really cool name for the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what if in the age of the internet you could create a new kind of army, something that used viruses and software, viruses and malware, you know, the same way that other militaries use missiles and spies and bombs. You know, looking at this back in from 2024, from this vantage point, uh, a lot of it is surprisingly prescient. It is weird how long ago 2018 actually was. Stop. When it, when it, when it comes to technological advancements and yeah. just where we find ourselves now, that was forever ago. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was. However, uh, we are airing this classic because we hope that you, like us, will find some strange things to appreciate from the vantage of the modern day. Because you're right, Matt. It, it was a, a long time ago. <laughs> yes. Let's discover GhostNet and Ghost Rat together right now. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our returning guest super producer, Casey Pegram. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today's episode is about war. Uh, what is it good for? A war that some people will tell you is just a few years in the distance. Huh. A war that's already kind of happening. Huh. A war that other people will argue has already begun. Right? Huh. Here are the facts. So the state of war is changing. In decades and centuries past, 
most of us who are not hundreds of years have only seen this depicted in film, right, in photographs and such. In in the past ages and past conflicts, there would be things like Napoleonic warfare. Napoleonic warfare is one of the reasons that the Civil War here in the U.S. was such a bloody conflict. It's that thing where people line up in rows and they all hold guns or some kind of weapon and then somebody in charge stands in the back and makes them all march toward each other and just continually shoot and see who's left standing at the end. Yeah, it's – it's a combination of the technology available to wage war and the rules that are set in place or agreed upon just as what is the correct thing to do in war. Right, right. What is the ethical thing, the traditional thing? How much do we value the lives of the people we are sending to die? Uh, the answer in Napoleonic War is <laughs> value. So – War has changed, as you said, Matt, and it it is continually changing. There are a lot of wonderful things we've talked about on the show that come from war, usually advances in medical technology, but they're earned through horrific experiences. And there are lots of other non-medical technological breakthroughs, usually weaponized things that later have a civilian use. And that's everything from, well, not really zippers, but kind of zippers to uh, like clothing, really lots and lots of different types of and kinds of clothing um, to what's something else? Oh, Velcro, food. Yeah, food storage, Mm -hmm. uh, just everything. Tupperware. Well, everything. Probably in some way descended. Comes from innovation from war because you have needs. So in this way, in just this relatively innocent, innovative way, one could argue that war is an economic necessity. The more realistic and way less uh, inspiring TED Talky version of war as an economic necessity is the one that admits that despite all the ideological claptrap people are fed by their leaders, war is typically going to be about dominance and resource extraction, controlling the stage, the theater in which these uh, blood-drenched plays occur. And now we have moved past, long past Napoleonic warfare to what we would have considered modern warfare, which would be smaller groups of people or larger groups divided into smaller groups practicing things that were once seen as very dishonorable, like guerrilla tactics, you know, mm-hmm. hide, shoot, avoid, rinse and repeat and use information available to better target things. That's why we have – now we live in a world of unmanned aerial vehicles that in theory are targeting specific threats and never getting it wrong, not once. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the technology is very much one-sided, which is Mm -hmm. why being at the top of the technology game is so important. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to overstate that. And and a lot of nations – even the very advanced nations are working with these strangely uneven levels of sophistication. Computers in one part or in one department could be top-notch, bleeding-edge, sci-fi stuff that the public won't see for another 10 to 15 years. But the same country, 
maybe even in the same building, could have computers that are doing equally important tasks that are hopelessly outdated, like they're pre-Windows. They're on IBM, you know, like all the hacker film screens in the 90s. The green, the, with the green, uh, mm-hmm. the monocolored. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah, those do still exist. Mm-hmm. And Windows 95 machines in highly important, like, water treatment plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something yeah. as simple as that, even if it's not war. Yeah, we. I, I don't remember if, which show this was on, but I think we did an episode before, either here or on Car Stuff, about how uh, distressingly easy it is to compromise infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Like all the traffic, if you were in the U.S. and you're listening to this, unless you're in a very, very large city, the odds are that most of your traffic lights are controlled by a central thing. And you can, you can hack into it. Don't. We're not telling you to. And the terminals are usually immediately there next to where the traffic light is. So you cannot (laughs) just mess up one traffic light. You can mess up all of them. Did you ever see that episode of MacGyver where he, like, uses, like, a credit card and sticks it inside? You know, he opens up the traffic box and he, like, gets the lights to change on command by, like, you know, using some kind of plastic device to, like, break the circuit. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what he did. Wow. It was very MacGyvery. But, yeah, he called. He basically – it was kind of messed up because he actually caused a pretty catastrophic-looking pileup and is like, MacGyver, that's not cool. You don't kill <laughs> MacGyver. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's – and that is, for the record, the original MacGyver, the good one. Mm. Hot take. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, sure. Fine. No regrets. But it, it's true. We're, we have uneven progress as a species, especially in this field. And according to prominent think tanks like the Rand Corporation, this new face of war, we're evolving past, uh, past guerrilla tactics, past um, just sending people out with good – uh, human intel or SIGINT, signal intelligence. And it's less about who has the biggest gun. Right, exactly. It's more about who has the best information. So all of the think tanks are more or less agreeing in the um, in this post-nuclear society we have. Everybody still has nukes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people, you, you don't want to use them. That's political suicide. So now we're trying to find better ways to steal, beg, or borrow information. And that leads us to something called strategic information warfare. This is the term the U.S. uh, eggheads prefer to use. It has another term in other places. It's one subgenre of what we would call asymmetrical warfare. If, If we're three different nations, sorry, if we're four different nations and we're in a conflict and one of us, Matt, let's say you're America and you have the world's most powerful navy. We, I most certainly do. There's no reason for us other countries to spend billions and billions and billions of dollars trying to catch up with you when we can just leapfrog you and build a battleship killer or an aircraft carrier killer, something that is less expensive to build and almost impossible for you to defend against. Matt, why are you always flexing that? superior navy and air force because i can print dollars getting a little too big for them pants (laughs) you'll never know my black budgets (laughs) (laughs) yes it's true it's all true and matt you know those are great pants uh matt has they have their their american flag pants yeah matt's taken wearing his uncle sam outfit just 24 7 which just has to weird out your kid you know he's come to love it and and he calls me sammy 
um, he says, Sammy, what, what are we doing today? And I'm like, we're going to find some natives and we're going to take all their land. Wow. We're going to infect their blankets with the plague. Oh, I'm sorry. I think I was role-playing a little too hard. No, no, America, no, no, America no. There. Go for it. Um, <clears throat> Go for it. America's great. Well, America's a country, and all countries have blood on their hands. I would challenge anybody to name one that does not. That's actually my favorite song of the moment. It's called Country Blood. Country Blood? By Toby Keith. <laughs> sounds great. Sounds, uh, sounds great. Toby Keith uh, probably would fit oddly enough this is so off track but toby keith would fit in more into psyops right propaganda warfare if you want to freak out people in foreign country play your own music really loud Mm -hmm. sound very patriotic and then play it for hours like the barney song is often been used when law enforcement is making a siege of some kind of compound or commune anyway so now we've got the basic logic why bother to try to build a battleship when you can build something that kills a battleship or you can build something that teaches you how to kill a battleship and you can do it for a lot less money. This is why we get, this is how we get to information warfare. This is why hacking is so important. Stealing information from another country or from another business, you know, why, forget about Uncle Sam. Let's just say go to Northrop Grumman, figure out what they've got going on, right? And yeah. there are a million ways to do it. And I just would say hacking the, that kind of tactic really is an underdog tactic because it's it requires that there is someone that has something that is worth stealing, right? right? I completely That's see that logic. Point. I understand it's – um. God, I don't want to get into it too much, but the the psychology of a suicide bombing or um, a kamikaze, right? When you get into that idea of we do not have the technology to meet this group in in warfare, like you're saying, battleships mm-hmm. and build battleships, but we can do something that destroys a battleship, right? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, and that's essentially what this is. We cannot build this thing, but we can take – the information and we can know what you're doing and we can uh, basically use some of the other guerrilla tactics and things mm-hmm. because now we know what you're doing. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And the U.S. in particular is seen as very vulnerable to these sorts of hacking attempts because operational security is such a tough thing for the world's largest military to – you know, it's – it's like uh, you could get 90% secure on something, but that other 10% is devilishly difficult. And this is where we see the emergence of things that have been called often by uh, various journalists, pundits. I think I even did it a few years back. Have been called hacking armies. Mm. State-sponsored, well, kind of kind of eh, state-sponsored groups used to compromise the security of rival governments, obtain intelligence, and in a lot of cases, target high-value individuals such as officials in the military, key industries, or uh, officials in political campaigns and mm-hmm. so on. So for example of that, super producer Casey Pegram is a general and he has some kind of – he has some kind of intimate knowledge of something, mm-hmm. then he would be he would be a target worth looking at as an individual. Good news is most people are not. Most most people, you just it doesn't matter. The primary thing is where you work and what your position is there. And maybe, maybe, maybe if you're related to somebody really important. 
And the thing is, most of these hacker armies operate in their home countries in a way that their sponsors, their patrons, can claim plausible deniability if they're caught or suspected. So there was that Russian botnet army that influenced Western social media. Um, it got it, the story broke in the wake of the previous presidential election, but this botnet army was active on things on a lot of things for much longer. You know, like the, even on subreddits, which is weird, and definitely on YouTube, which is weird. And you have to wonder what their priorities are. But according to Russia, the the actual Federated States of Russia, their official position is. Uh, yet, not with us, you know. If they were doing some pro-Russia, it's only pro-Russia. It's personal feeling, not uh, not a like we're not paying them to do it. It's just they just like us so much, you know. Yeah, they're doing it out of their own feels. Mm-hmm. And we we have not paid. And this is a very familiar line from Russia. It's oddly enough, it's one we don't see used too often on the U.S. side because the U.S. has a really bad time, has a really tough time uh, getting the top-notch hackers often. Oh, yeah. Just because – mainly because of the drug use policy for security clearance, which I think they walked back. So – Maybe it's I, – I don't know. Maybe the, the really good U.S. hackers are just all completely secret and never commented on. Maybe the U.S. has a group of patriotic hackers, but Russia is clearly play, paying these people, paying and playing, paying to play these people. So awesome. Now, awesome, thank you, man. So now we have to ask about the other countries. Who has the most effective hacker army? Most people, most of us in the West, would just like in a knee-jerk reaction say, well, it's the USA. Obviously, it's the USA, partner. You know, we have the, we've got the money, we've got the means, we've got the motives. America, bald eagles, rock flag and eagle, you know? Yeah, but America hasn't been an underdog for a long time. And I think you, you raised a very important point regarding that perspective. So then maybe other people would say, oh, it's, it's Russia. Clearly it's Russia. They would say, look, it's, we know about the botnet. It's Russia. And then other people would say, no, no, you guys are being ridiculous. Pay attention. Look past the, the um, illusion of the single nation state. Look at international surveillance, these cooperatives like Five Eyes, which is terrifying. Yeah, because that's – that's a bunch of countries working together, mm-hmm. combining forces, and then saying, hey, we got all this land, and we got all this sea around the land. Let's just monitor everything. And let's do it in such a way that we're never actually technically breaking our own domestic laws. Yeah. We just happen to share some information. It's brilliant. It <laughs> is so immoral and brilliant. We've all got Gmail drafts open in accounts that we share. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, for Petraeus. So with all this stuff, the problem is people tend to overlook the role of China's digital super spies. And we want to be really careful in this episode because there's so much when the nationalism stuff comes into play. There's so so many people fall in this slippery slope of uh, racism, you know, Mm -hmm. and jingoism. And it's important to note that even the smallest countries are full of people with different viewpoints. Very, very, very rarely does an entire country move in lockstep and agree on something, you know. So there are a ton of people here in the U.S. that completely don't think China's a threat, don't want some sort of war. 
and that problem, that that variety of views is even larger in China. But they're also probably they're also probably the biggest culprit or biggest propagator of digital warfare today. And we've seen that already uh, in when we were talking about infiltration and uh, corporate infiltration and the the use of getting into systems, taking intellectual property from other countries and then kind of building your own version of it. Um, China, again, it's hard to even speak about it, but groups in China have a very long history of doing this. Um, and that's almost like uh, on the level of like corporate espionage. It right? is corporate yeah, espionage. Yeah. But then if you imagine it, we're, we're just kind of moving it over a couple of steps hmm. to uh, to military espionage in this way. Hmm. Um, Especially since, since – because like you said at the top of the show, so much of the technology is created at the military level before it uh, you know ends up in the public sphere. So it's just a way of like getting proprietary technology early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the main factors here is that – China is home to 1.4 billion people. It's the most populous country and they've been doing this for a long, long, long time. Are they – see, it's – We're going into things. <laughs> right? It's, and it's hard to even speak about it. Well, China um, is the they and the stuff they don't want you to know of this episode. It is. China's government. We could call it the PRC if that they, feels Yeah, better. that's that is, that is good. The People's Republic of China. Uh, yeah. The, yes. And they also made something. They created a program, a, a group of networks and a network of people that is doing something, and it's called GhostNet. Ooh, Burr. GhostNet. Ghost Pretty good, huh? Yeah, it's a great good. name. I love it. At uh, least that's what it's called. Isn't that the the name of a Mission Impossible movie? Or is that that Ghost Nation? Ghost. Oh, it's something. Ro- Rogue Nation? What was it called? I thought Ghost, Ghost Protocol? Ghost Protocol, maybe. And there was also like a Tom Clancy video game called Ghost Recon, I believe. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we we have to we have to figure out what that is. Hey God. <laughs> impossible. Okay. It's Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol. There you go. I'm a fan of that. Are you a fan of this? Oh, show? they're fun. Sure. So much running. Mm-hmm. A lot of running and jumping and, you know, uh, you can really tell that Cruz takes doing his own stunts very seriously because there's a lot of one takes, you know, not a lot of cutting, slicing and dicing. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. And it's still not as dangerous as, again, to return to our original tone, ghost net. But what is it? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. So, commercial fisher, fishing people, members of the commercial fishing industry who listen to the show. It's a shout out to a very specific yeah. uh, part of the demographic here. Deadliest catch? Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> you all will be familiar with GhostNet from a different perspective. GhostNet can mean one of two things. In the world of commercial fishing, Ghost nets or ghost gear are lost or discarded fishing nets that float through the ocean and every year they trap and kill millions and millions and millions of marine animals. It's a tragedy. The ocean ecosystem is collapsing. Your grandchildren may not be able to eat fish, uh, but that's that's a story for another day. Yeah, I, what I think, are you going to do? Go out there and capture all the nets? Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Uh, you try to capture the net but the net will capture you. Mm. Uh, I did it without making a Soviet Russia joke, at least. In the world of hacking, however, the ghost net, no spaces, is a sophisticated program operating in China designed to capture information from ministries of foreign affairs, embassies, international organizations, uh, high-value target-type individuals, news media institutions, and NGOs, non-government organizations. Basically, high-value everything. So how do we find out about this? 
So GhostNet was discovered when the office of, get this, the Dalai Lama in Dharmasala, India, uh, contacted experts to investigate if this facility was being bugged. And um, a researcher at Cambridge, a guy named Ross Anderson, and also Shashir Nagaraja at the University of Illinois, wrote this about this uh, event. Quote, the office of the Dalai Lama started to suspect it was under surveillance while setting up meetings between His Holiness. Uh, I wish people called me His Holiness. That'd be awesome. What do you have to do to get that title? You have to be the Dalai Lama. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. that's it. Like, or, or maybe a pope. Uh, Popes yeah. are their holiness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, his holiness and uh, foreign dignitaries. They were looking to surveil these meetings between his holiness, the Dalai Lama, and foreign dignitaries. So they sent an email invitation on behalf of the Dalai Lama to a foreign diplomat. But before uh, anyone was able to follow up with a phone call, the diplomat's office was contacted by the Chinese government and warned not to go ahead with the meeting. So this is important because it means one of two things happened. Either when the office of the Dalai Lama sent that email, the government of China knew what was happening, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Somehow. Or when the embassy received the email, the government of China found it and knew what was happening. So, yeah, they had had one side of it, uh, at least one side. Right. And so Mr. Nagaraja travels to Dharamsala in September of 2008, I believe, and discovers that the Tibetan computer system had been breached from inside China. These computers contain details about the locations of refugees, Tibetan refugees, and the location of schools uh, that were possible targets for um, the Chinese assimilation is one way to say it, mm-hmm. assimilation tactics, but also the repression of Tibetan culture. So they got hacked. And then they launched into an investigation that took almost a year before they reached their conclusions. Yes. In 2009, it was a 10-month investigation by the Monk Center for International Studies in Toronto. And they revealed that this thing, GhostNet, not only taps into their emails, but it also turns them into giant listening devices. Like a, like an Amazon Alexa, right? Yes. Oh, my God. Or a Google Home or whatever else you've just got sitting in your living room like me. Wait, <laughs> wait. So like, like, but like a reverse that thing, right? Because it's not, it's not assisting you. It's not personally assisting you. It's more personally helping itself to your information and passing it on to whoever mm-hmm. has control. Oh, which, which Alexa is doing as well. Right. We just yeah. have the illusion yeah. that we control what Alexa just does. Just don't get intimate around it. And here's a fun one for everyone <laughs> who has one of these devices in your house as you're listening to this podcast. Uh, I'll, I'll do the one for Alexa. Someone do the one for Google. Don't Let's do see it. what happens. Hey, Alexa, tell us Amazon's official privacy policy. It's not going to do it. No. There's no way to make it happen. Hey, Google, when's Lady Gaga's birthday? Oh, I feel like that's geez. way less important. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, <Yes>, you. <laughs> uh, hey, Google, erase all of your records. <laughs> There you go. I just saved you. I can't do that, Dave. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know I can't do that. Mm -hmm. All right. Whatever, Google. Hey, Alexa, play Despacito. No. Do you realize we've alienated literally everyone that's listening to this on any of these devices right now? Yeah, I know. No, absolutely not. (laughs) uh, That's that's part of the show. Um, And I, I don't think it'll work if you're listening to it on one of those devices already. I don't. Yeah, I don't. 
think so. Write in and let us know. Uh, and we hope that that harmless prank hasn't done anything. The only reason I bring it up is because those listening devices themselves uh, are notoriously imperfect at answering yeah. questions. There's a wealth of uh, research going on now to make these devices better at answering questions, but I maintain that there are some questions they are simply refusing to answer, Ooh, yes. such as uh, privacy mm. questions, what happens to those recordings if you do think you have erased them. Yeah, the, the built-in answers to a lot of those questions have changed. Yes. Over time, especially as they get as they become memes mm-hmm. online. Uh, by the way, we just forgot to mention Siri, the one that's like sitting on the desk. I'm looking at uh, Siri right there. There's one in my pocket. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> Casey's true. got one out there. Pretty mm-hmm. sure. Oh lord. Yep. They're, yes. they're just in everybody's pocket now. So it's true. We have become the eyes and ears that we feared. No, our parents did. But the thing about this program, GhostNet, is that it did not even have um, the it did not even have the the pretense of control or privacy concerns. It didn't even have the theater of that that we yeah. see in Amazon and Google because there was there was absolutely no need. People weren't supposed to know about this. The report stopped short of outright accusing the government of the PRC for creating this network. And instead, they said everything but – They said the vast majority of these attacks originate from inside China. What they meant was all of these attacks originate from inside China. But they could be independently operating. They just happen to be in China. Right, right, right. Someone is very patriotic and they say, you know what? Not only am I a supremely talented um, computer whiz, but I'm also – Not just patriotic, but I'm plugged into the internal, often unstated policy goals of the Chinese military and government just because I like the country so much. So I'm just going to do this even though the government has come forward and said that it's a crime. Mm. So I'm going to go to jail uh, due to breaking the laws of the country I love. And the country I love is going to put me in jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's just uh, (laughs) – it's a lot of – that's a lot of uh, – it's just a lot in general to try to digest, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, we have to be fair. It's unclear whether they're independent or state-sponsored, but that goes back to the idea of plausible deniability. And another thing that's important here too is that it's a little bit of a lower simmer because a lot of other countries like Russia, the US, Israel or whatever will have – cyber attacks or digital attacks that are blatantly violent targeting things and in many cases have a little bit of a, a little bit of a style on them a mm-hmm. little bit of swag so that despite official deniability it can be an open secret about who did this like Stuxnet clearly Israel US right uh, to um, cripple or at least mitigate the progress of the Iranian nuclear program Russia taking out various power grids and then saying, oh, no, it's very sad. That's weird. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, a lot of times what at, what at least I'm seeing, and please uh, write in and correct me if I'm incorrect about this. Oh, I these, will. Because <laughs> with these kinds of cyber attacks and security threats, when the originating 
or the area where an attack originates physically mm-hmm. is harder. It's becoming harder and harder to understand or to verify, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you really have to look at motive. Like you're saying, Ben, like who, what power would want this to happen or want this area to be infected or, you know, this mm-hmm. sector in this military or something. And then is this some weird Star Trek 4D level chess? It's interesting because one researcher said this could be happening in China without the knowledge of any Chinese nationals. We can't forget that there are no clean nor ethical intelligence agencies. That's not how intelligence works. No. Instead, Okay, so Ronald Debart, one of the researchers, said, and I quote here, we were a bit careful about it, knowing the nuance of what happens in subterranean realms. Whoa. You could tell this guy's, yeah, whatever. This could also well be the CIA or the Russians. It's a murky realm we're lifting the lid on. Right. And at first I was very skeptical about that, but it's a really good point. Yes. Because if you wanted to make the government of China look bad, disreputable, or terrible, then just send some, uh, send some of your own dirty boys in there to, to do an operation. Got to get them dirty boys on the scene. I know. I, I, I like that phrase. So the U.S. has also def- – repeatedly warned about China's increasing capabilities in the realm of electronic warfare. But we're, I don't know, we're we're setting the context. We should probably walk everyone through how this happens because right now the way it happens might surprise you. It it feels relatively simplistic. Yeah. So, you know what? Hmm. Let's take a word from our sponsor and then we'll go through what an attack looks like. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so the the ghost net has um, is attempting to infect you. Mm. Here's what's going to happen. First, you get an email. Casey, can we get an email cue? <laughs> but it's an email from someone you know. It's not like what's a made up name? Uh, Lauren Vogelbaum. <laughs> That's a great example, actually. Okay, let's say it is Lauren Vogelbaum. It's someone you know. Okay. So you get this email from someone you know. Maybe someone you work with, maybe a family member. Okay. But it's someone you trust, and most importantly, it's someone that you have had a previous ongoing conversation with via these email addresses. Okay. And the email itself is not going to be something blatantly like a scam. It's actually going to be pretty pretty nuanced and sophisticated. So it wouldn't be an email from Lauren, by the way, for longtime listeners, you all know you all know her from our previous episode on Diamonds. We'll probably have her on the show a little bit later as well. Longtime friend of our show, personal friend of all of us, uh, host of Saver. Correct. And brain stuff. So maybe we receive an email from her and it says, instead of like, hey, OMG, lol, click this crazy link, it says something like... Yeah, because that's pretty blatant. We've all seen those now. Right. Cute it, kitty emoji. Right, right. It says something like... Uh, it says something like, Hey, Ben, earlier last week we were talking about, uh, you know, we, we were talking about um, the differences uh, between types of camels or between llamas and alpacas. And I'll think, oh, yeah, we talked about that. I found this great interview or I found this great article about this and I thought you would like to read it. I'm like, oh, man, I, yeah, okay, I want to learn more about llamas. Alpacas, I'm in. Yeah, alpacas, whatever. I need to know these things. And then you click on a Word document or PDF that's there, and when it opens up, it is actually about the difference between llamas and alpacas. Yeah, and it actually opens up with Word or whatever, mm-hmm. and you know, it, Adobe. And it looks legit, and you read it, and you think like, oh, what a great friend, following oh, up on that. This operates as expected. Mm-hmm. Nothing amiss here. Not at all. But if we could get a, a, a sound cue that indicates a pivotal shift in tone here. It's a butt sound cue. Hey, that was good, man. What's actually happening as you're reading this is that a virus is downloading very quickly into your computer. This virus, a Trojan, um, often a Trojan called Ghost Rat, will allow the hackers based in China access to your camera, your microphone, uh, access to screenshots, access to your files, and it will also be able to log keystrokes. 
That last part is incredibly important. Yeah, key key logging. Uh, let's just, I think we glossed over it a little bit, Ben. Ghost rat. G-H-0-S-T-R-A-T. I Ghost love that uh, Forrest Whitaker movie, Ghost Rat and the Way of the Samurai. Oh, yeah? The Jim Jarmusch-directed number. Mm-hmm. It was a little slow for me, but... Overall, I enjoyed it. Was that okay. Ghost Dog? That was Ghost Dog, yeah. <laughs> Okay. I think the RZA did the soundtrack, though. We love the RZA Seriously. here on Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so this this thing happens. You're learning about llamas, mm-hmm. alpacas, and then you are unwittingly becoming a an, uh, an Alexa for these yeah. people. you're like right? a node. Mm-hmm. A Siri. Uh, yeah, you're a node. And Ghost Rat itself is interesting because it was very, very successful. We we also should mention, Noel, I think you alluded to this a little bit earlier, that this occurs in the civilian world as well. Numerous voyeurs, hackers, people with a crush or something, will, will hack into a victim's webcam just to watch them. You know what I mean? Not to, I can't remember if we're talking about this on air or off air, but not not to steal nuclear secrets or something. What's different here with Ghost Rat and with GhostNet is A, their names are way cooler, and B, civilian webcams are not typically going to give away things like troop movement or yeah. uh, the the new design for a jet engine or nuclear payloads in their locations. Yeah, we'll just call those ghost creeps. Those are just ghost creeps. The Chinese government, again, officially denies any involvement with cyber spying. A spokesman for the Chinese embassy in London in 2009, when this was first breaking news, uh, said Beijing had also fallen victim to hackers and dismissed this report as part of the Dalai Lama's media and propaganda campaign. So it was just a – it was a frame job by the Dalai Lama himself. Wow. What – yeah. Yeah. That's that's how he – it wasn't the um, numerous allegations and proven instances of human rights abuses uh, by the PRC. No, he said that he thought the best way to go at them would be a hacking accusation. Interesting. So, so they said this is smoke and mirrors. This is nothing. Pay no mind. But the problem is that a long, long time before that, the Chinese government decided to make control of information one of the main parts of the country's policy. In 2003, at the 10th National People's Congress, the Chinese army, which is controlled by the party, Mm -hmm. very important difference here, uh, the Chinese army announced the creation of information warfare units. And a general at the time, Dai Qingming, said internet attacks would always run in advance of any military operation to cripple enemies. Said that in 2003, and then in 2009, they're saying, we would never do anything like that. The Dalai Lama is like, trying to get in your head, Yeah, Westerners. Well, it's really interesting. In 2003, that's announced. I'm trying to imagine how many full-scale military conflicts China has engaged in up into this time. And really all I can think of is the South China Sea stuff, but it's not really full military engagements. No. Um, where they've, you know, performed an internet attack in in front of an actual military advance. Well, they just said military operation. Got you. And a military operation can also be a domestic operation yeah. or uh, an operation on the border. So and largely intelligence it could be as well. So yeah, sure. So okay. it doesn't have to be an out and out war, but it could e- easily be 
just like you're saying, a series of small conflicts in the South China Sea as they attempt to uh, enlarge their maritime border, or excuse me, get everybody else to agree with what they feel like their maritime border is. There you government go. Feels. So it's strange because we're hearing conflicting reports from government officials. Depending on the situation, the Pentagon has been obsessed with this and quite uncomfortable with it. They conducted a number of investigations and one of the reports uh, that they issued said that Chinese progress in this sphere is pretty impressive. They're, yeah. they're, they're scared but they were impressed. Yeah, they said China has made steady progress in recent years in developing offensive nuclear, space, and cyber warfare capabilities. The only aspects of China's armed forces that today have the potential to be truly global. So what they're saying there is that right now the Chinese government, the Chinese military, the capacities that they have in terms of military hardware are, are making them a regional power. Right. The economic in the economic sphere, they are truly a global power. But if it comes down to, you know, guns and bombs and explosions, they can control a region, but they can't lock down a globe. Yeah, but they're focusing on nuclear space and cyber, which are the three things that can reach pretty much anywhere in the world. They also are uh, building out a blue water navy. Yeah. Which is – I think we talked about this in the past. So there – not to get too in the weeds with it, but there are three ways to rate the Navy of a country. The first is brown water. A brown water Navy is mainly at the coast. The second is green water. The green water Navy can project force to other closer areas in the region. It can go across a sea or something like that, right? A blue water navy, of which there are very few, is able to project force anywhere across the globe. The U.S. is the biggest blue water navy, which is why you hear about the U.S. being involved in all sorts of uh, maritime conflicts around the world. It's kind mm -hmm. of where Britain was during its uh, na naval – days of naval glories. Yeah. Chances are <laughs> – chances – days of naval – yeah. No, I agree. Days of naval glory. And naval gazing. Yeah. That's, well, it's, that's what it feels like. Just the idea that there could be numerous uh, – <laughs> let's call them naval units uh, deployed in anywhere in the world at any time. And there, there probably are because there are bases. There are naval bases throughout the world. That's where, true. Where we've got our stuff just parked. And we've got the uh, the super carriers essentially that are out there that can just be a base wherever you want it to be. Yes. The U.S. has 11 super carriers, which are exactly like you described, Matt. They're, they're moving naval bases. Mm -hmm. And now I think as of 2018 officially, China only has one overseas logistics base. I think it's in Africa. And it does have an aircraft carrier or it's building one. It's either building it or it's just built it. The point is that stuff takes uh, a much longer time yeah. to become a uh, – to reach fruition. But this hacking stuff where all you need are um, – all you need are a few vulnerabilities in one, in one place and a few very, very smart people with an internet connection in another. So everybody else's research, all other governments' research indicates this is the goal of China. 
If so, this is the stuff that the Chinese government doesn't want you to know because they maintain that this is not happening depending on who they talk to. Yeah. Because as we know, if you're a politician, you're making a speech to a domestic audience, it's very different uh, from what you'll say to the United Nations most times. Well, totally. I mean, like a good example is uh, with Donald Trump, who recently did a speech in front of the United Nations and caught some flack in the form of uh, a little bit of uh, laughing at, at, at a mm-hmm. statement that he made. That is not the kind of reception he would be, even as like a you know kind of controversial president. Mm-hmm. Any president would be used to um, speaking in front of a more friendly domestic audience, let alone an audience of uh, their base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's usually why – one thing unusual about that speech um, I was alluding to that is that he was he was speaking with the same talking points he would use for his domestic base. Yeah, doesn't fly, right? Which, yeah, which other, which other presidents usually wouldn't do uh, regardless of what country they are representing. But this means that right now technically, officially – on the record, Ishley, we cannot say the government of China is currently sponsoring a ton of uh, ongoing attacks to compromise various businesses and countries. We can't even say that they did it in 2009, but here's the thing. Right. Multiple attacks, most of these attacks, especially GhostNet, but also with these other programs, have been traced to an island in China called Hainan. And this island is home to uh, a signals intelligence facility run by the government. It's also home to the third technical department of the People's Liberation Army, which is their uh, cyber – one of their cyber yeah. warfare places. So it may not be sponsored by them. Maybe. May, maybe. Yeah. I mean you could tell that I don't believe it. That's my opinion. But uh, – it's certainly in the same neighborhood. So maybe it's someone who works there mm-hmm. and is so patriotic that they're doing this on their free time somehow. Uh, and keep in mind that GhostNet happened 10 years ago. It was discovered 10 years ago. So whatever is out there now, is, whatever the successes are, they're far beyond that. And they're probably far beyond most of the technology available to citizens here in the West. One of the servers was verified to be a Chinese government server. So for people who believe this PRC, that's a smoking gun. Wow. Okay, let's just – for a little bit of perspective, mm. this is 2008, 2009 when this is occurring, when computers across across the, the globe in sensitive areas were turned into Amazon Alexas. That occurred five years before the Amazon Alexa premiered. So, so whoever is doing this <laughs> was way ahead of the game. Way, way ahead of the game, and they figured so out. Uh, you think maybe some of the technology that goes into like these list, these uh, Alexas and these personal assistants may have had its origin in military technology. I didn't say that. I don't think a like a bugging device was the reason companies wanted you to have a bugging device in your home. I don't oh. think military okay. applications of bugging devices had cool. anything to do with voluntary bugging devices. Just so we're on the same page. <laughs> I mean, it is just an extension of like stuff like Facebook where we just, you know, no one even needs to surveil us anymore because we're just dumping all our information out into the interwebs, right? So why would it not be a logical next step that we would just uh, uh, actively and voluntarily install bugging devices in our own homes, uh, you know, using our uh, ingenious powers of free will? Right, right. 
And the spookiest thing of it all is, you know, to the point we just made, we don't know. Whatever's happening now, technologically speaking, in terms of surveillance, we might not know about it for another 10, 5, 10 years. Yeah. And GhostNet, as far as we know, has been responsible for a minimum of 1,295 computer system attacks on embassies, foreign ministries, government offices, pretty much every exile center for the Dalai Lama uh, in London, India, and New York City. It's only one of multiple similar or, uh, operations running out of China. There are tons, and they all have really cool names yeah. just on the side. Well, take away from today's episode, GhostNet, it's, it's kind of spooky. Unlike other nations, which tend to practice overt attacks, you know, crippling power grids, China's programs seem much more focused on just collecting sensitive information so that other parts of the military can act on that. That's so far, at least. Yeah. Uh, And odd mixed signals are coming in 2015. Then President Obama met with President Xi Jinping, who will be president of China for a long, long time now, uh, to address a range of issues. And they talked about economic espionage, and when they talked about that, they said they reached an agreement. They said neither government, the PRC nor the U.S., will conduct or support cyber-enabled theft of business secrets that would provide competitive advantage to their commercial sectors. Importantly, disturbingly, they did not agree to restrict government espionage because most countries are cool with that. Yeah. Or, or most countries won't come out against it because they all do it. Yeah, exactly. You can't be against something that you, that everybody knows you're doing. Sure you can. <laughs> sure, yeah, you can be publicly <laughs> no. against all kinds of stuff. Oh, and, yeah, that's true. And that's true. the thing. Like, of course, I, I, would, I would propose to you all and everyone listening that all countries also support uh, theft of business secrets. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's just you can't – you're not going to put the rubber stamp of the, your country on it. You can – you've got a, a million different ways to obfuscate who's actually doing that. That's true. And I don't know. This is more of a, a socio-philosophical perspective here. But the reason I think all countries will also support or attempt to uh, commit – industrial espionage is because I think it's increasingly misleading and a myth to pretend that business and government are separate in many cases. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, look at Russian oligarchs for the most part and the function of Russian governance. Look at the uh, largest companies in the largest countries and many times there's just so much bleed over from who controls what that while it's comforting to say that businesses and governments may be separate, while it's technically supposed to be the case, in practice it really isn't. Yeah, when you can donate as like unlimited funds to a campaign, when you can get government contracts for just a, a number of military applications and other applications – uh, when there's a revolving door between business and government, I, I totally feel you. And I'm not. I'm not saying it's. Uh, thank you, but I'm, I'm not even. I'm not even specifically talking about the U.S. I'm talking about oh, I know. a global phenomenon. And I guess what I'm just changing. saying is when you can use the United States as an example, like the the one for in a lot of ways is the 
leader or at least the main bully, <laughs> uh, when we're doing it, then it seems like you could probably do it or it's happening everywhere else. That's uh, all. And then the question is, uh, what, what to do next? Do you want to fight against it? Do you want to, uh, do you want to fight against it? Do you want to join the, the empire, right? Or, uh, do you want to just think about changing your password, running a couple <laughs> virus checks? You'll probably be able to catch anything from 2009, you, you know, even sure. even something like Norton Antivirus could find that. But uh, what about the 2018 stuff? You just got to kind of hope, cover up your, uh, cover up your cameras <laughs> yeah. as much as you can. Uh, take out the mics because there's really no way to stop that mic from getting turned on. Yeah. You I guess you could try to it, muffle it, but it wouldn't but, I mean, yeah. You just have a white noise generator that's like yeah. sitting on your monitor where the mic is. Well, we want to we want to hear what you think, folks. Now, obviously, uh we are not ourselves professional black nor white hat hackers, uh, but we want to know if you believe there's propaganda involved here. Is the government of China really sponsoring these things? Are they just patriotic hackers? Is the West making it look worse than it is to justify future military mm. action? What kind of programs is the West doing right now to places like China? Mm -hmm. Do you have any info on that? Uh, tell us. You can tell us anonymously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can. You can uh, you cannot tell us anonymously at Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Yeah, we'd love to we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on here's where it gets crazy, uh, but you can contact us anonymously, at least anonymously to us. Our, Correct. Our long serving uh, hapless intern at the NSA will probably know everything about you. Shout out to you, Matt. Hopefully, you've made it that far. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.